Hey everyone, my name is Paige and I am the Creative Arts Manager at Grace Church Barberton. Welcome to our Sunday service podcast. We are so glad you're listening. This is the live recording of our Sunday message and we hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you hear. Let's jump into week number two of our series, The Sea. good to be with you this morning. Even though the clocks changed, the snow fell, we are here together, and that is a good thing. And so we are glad that you're a part of what is going on this morning. John 15 is where I'm going to have you turn. John 15 is where I'm going to have you turn, and then we are going to jump in. If I've not met you before, my name is Joel, and like Paige said, we would love for you to go back to our lobby area. There'll be a welcome team member there, and they'll just say hi, give you a free gift. We are uh, excited that you're a part of what's going on this morning, and would love to get you connected to what God's doing in and around Grace Church and the community that we're in, Barberton. We're jumping in today in the midst of a series. So you jumped in at a good time. We started it last week. I'll give you some more details as we go. But the question I have to start is this, okay? Eyes up here. Question I have to start is this. Have you ever pursued someone before, right? Some of you are like, what's that mean, right? Have you ever pursued someone before, right? If you played sports, maybe, right? Maybe that's one angle of it. If you've ever been in a relationship, right? Maybe that's one angle. I remember when me and my wife were dating, right? It came time for us to discuss things beyond dating, right? Marriage, what's going to happen, you know, engagement, all of that fun stuff. And it came to the point where I had asked her dad and I got the yes from dad, which is really important, right? If you're a young guy in here, yes from dad is the key to moving to the next, right? I bought a ring which I didn't realize how expensive they were. And then I was in college and I was like, wow, I'm not eating for a month, right? It's just like all of that. And then I set up the plan, right? I set up the plan. And I so wanted this to go well. I wanted it to be exciting. I wanted it to, to just be smooth and be fun and be memorable for my wife. And so what I did is I set up a scavenger hunt, right? I wrote kind of different chapters of our story in a booklet. I had different clues. And that morning she came to my house and it started. I was not there. I lied to her. I said, come to my house, go on a date. I was not there, right? My grandma was there and she gave my wife this book and the first clue. And Jess is like, what is happening right now? And I was like, yeah, this is the start of it, right? All the fun. And so she went to Durbin's. She got hot fudge at Durbin's. That was a part of her story. The, the waiter or waitress lady gave her the next clue. She went to Silver Creek. She then went to uh, uh, the house uh, that she grew up in and kind of where we were first dating at, all of that stuff. And she ended up at Grace Church Norton Campus. That's where we were attending at the time. And when she walked through the back doors, right, and she kind of turned the corner around, I was standing on the stage. And I was standing there, and then my sister was in the back, and she played some sweet music, and then Jess walked up, and I asked her to marry me. She said yes, right? And a year later, we got married on that stage, and it was awesome. But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. In my pursuit of Jess... In my pursuit of Jess, right, she had no, maybe she had no other option to, but she decided to pursue me, right? This scavenger hunt, this scavenger hunt was my way of saying, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you, right? I hope life doesn't always feel like a scavenger hunt with me, but right, I want this to be a memorable moment where you know I love you. And her response was, I want to come and be 
in life with you. I want to join you in that, right? And here's the reality. Here's the reality of what we're going to talk about today. As we jump into this journey, our hearts must be one of pursuing Jesus because he first pursued us. That our hearts must be of pursuing him inside of this journey that we're calling the seed because he first pursued us right? I pursued Jess, and then I invited her to go on the scavenger hunt, right? And in that journey, she ended up pursuing me, and now we continue to pursue each other as we go throughout life. Listen here. If we are not actively pursuing Jesus, listen to my words, because he first pursued us, we will lose sight of the vision that we're on and the journey that we're in. If we are not actively pursuing Jesus, listen to my words, because he first pursued me, we will lose sight of the vision of what we're talking about, what we're getting revved up for, what we're getting excited for, what we're calling the seed and the journey that is over the next three years. Last week, we started this series, and really, it's a series that's defining the next three years for us. Over the last 10 or 11 months, myself, the leadership team have been praying, fasting. We've been processing where is God taking us? And God has directed our conversations. God has directed the journey that is ahead. And that is what this series is all about. It's our way of looking at who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and saying, here's the journey that he has us on. And we're calling it the seed, a discipleship journey right? Seed, a discipleship journey. And as a church, we started to ask this question. It's a campus, right, of Grace Church, but as a church, what if we planted the seed which would grow into the next generation of oaks? What if we planted the seed that would grow into the next generation of oaks? And last week, I gave you a lot of information and research I'd done about oak trees. I found this oak tree that's found in South Carolina. It's called the angel oak tree, right? It's a pretty awesome oak tree, right? You don't have one of those in your backyard, I bet. And this oak tree, right, hundreds of thousands of people come to visit every year, right? There is just dimensions. It covers over 17,000 square feet, kind of the coverage of it, right? If you just look at it, look at its branches, look at the span. It's a pretty gnarly experience, right? We said this, that that angel oak tree didn't just kind of all of a sudden start there. That tree has been around for about 400 years. So some 400 years ago, someone planted the seed that eventually grew into an oak tree that people visit all of the time, right? And here was our heart inside of this journey and why we're talking about it, why you see it, why we're going to put you into place of investing in it. Is because we started to ask the question, what if we planted the seed? What if we set the foundation? What if we started the journey that would eventually grow into the next oaks spiritually? What if we planted such a seed that the next generation of Christ followers looked more like oak trees, something like that, that has a coverage, that has impact, that has investment, that people are looking at and are just wondering what in the world is going on, baffled by it maybe, amazed by it, what God is doing? What if they looked more like oak trees rather than mushrooms, right? We don't want to invest in the growth of a mushroom that's here one day and gone the next. We want to invest in the oak tree that's going to last 900 to 1,000 years. And so we started to run into that. And the passage we've been looking at is from Isaiah 61. We're going to throw up a verse, verse 3. Isaiah 61, verse 3, is really where we attach to. 
This is what Isaiah writes. We spent a lot of time last week, so if you weren't here last week, I would challenge you to uh, go back online and listen to that. Spent a lot of time just kind of dissecting this passage and, and where God starts in it. And then it says this, Isaiah's writing is prophesying, verse three, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We attach to that verse. We said, what if the next generation of Christ followers looks like these oaks of righteousness that Isaiah is looking at here and writing about? We said, if that is our heart's desire that we want to invest in the next generation for not just the next three years, but 12 years and 50 years that we're able to send in the coverage of oak trees across our community and communities to come, right, or to make an impact, we have to have two things involved that really are not of ourselves, but are of God. The first is, you'll see earlier in this passage, Jesus has to be at the center of this journey, we said, if, we, if you ever want to see an oak tree grow, right, Jesus has to be at the center of this spiritually. We talked about planting the seed of the gospel last week. Then we said this, if we want to see oak trees of righteousness, oak trees spiritually grow, it has to be for the glory of God. And if those two things are in place, then all of a sudden we can find where our place is inside of this journey. That if those two things are happening and that God is giving to those, right? The gospel is in the center of it. It's God's glory that's seen through it. Then third, our place is found in it and we want to invest very specifically in that and jump in together. And so as we go throughout this month, we're going to invite you into what it looks like to invest. There's three ways that I want you to just kind of tune into here. The first is this. Uh, we have small group meetings that are happening the next two Tuesdays, okay, the 14th and 21st. And if you want to know specifically some of the projects, some of the community efforts, some of the things we're doing here as a campus over the next three years and how we're investing into that, I would invite you to sign up for one of those two meeting slots. It'll be about an hour, hour and 15. I'll just share with you what is going on. There are physical sign-up sheets in the back corner, and we'd love for you to write your name and email down. We'll communicate with you on what to expect. There'll be light refreshments, and we'll just have a good time talking about where God is leading us. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. In the back, you will also see all of these, okay? They're called series guides. They're called series guides, and we offer this every series. This one is real important because it is going to give you prayer prompts. It's going to give you journaling prompts that will help you process this journey in your own life, spiritually, and where God is taking us collectively. So grab one of those if you didn't get one last week. And then this Wednesday, wow, it's this Wednesday already, right? This Wednesday is the worship and prayer night. It's a family worship and prayer night. We'd invite you to join us. It's at 630, 630, and uh, we're just going to smash in here and have a good old time together. So we'd invite you to join us for that, okay? But something new that you might have saw, it's in the back of your seats, okay? And I would challenge you to pull it out if you have one in front of you. It's our commitment card. And in this journey, we're going to invite you to invest in this journey very specifically. And as you look at the commitment card, this is what I would challenge you to do, okay? Right? I don't want you to start thinking about what is and what isn't during this time, but I just want you to take this with you. I want you to spend this week praying over where God maybe has you investing over the next three years. I want you to process maybe what commitment God is leading you into. 
And then by the 26th, we're calling the 26th of March Commitment Sunday. By the 26th, we would invite you to turn this in. There's a box back there as a way of saying we want to be a part of this journey. If you're someone who is here for the first time or maybe you're super new to grace, uh, feel no pressure at all to have to fill one of these out, honestly. You can take one, pray over it. You can process that. If you want to be a part of the journey, we'd love it. But if you're someone that's been invested for a while, you would say, I am connected here. This is my home. We'd invite you to process, pray, ask God to lead you in this because we are excited about what he is doing and we want everyone to be a part of that journey very specifically. If you come to those Tuesday meetings, you'll hear more about how this commitment card plays a factor in all of that. Cool? Can I pray for us? And then we're gonna jump in. We're gonna get moving, okay? I know it's snowing out. I know that things are happening. I know that we set the clocks back at time, right? I woke up this morning. I was horrified to see what time it was that I woke up, and then I'd set my clock back, and I was like, this is wrong in so many ways, but we're going to make it happen today. You guys in it? You with me? That was pathetic. I'm going to pray for you all, and then I'm going to get started and just hope you come along with me, okay? Father, I just thank you so much that we're here. I thank you that you are good and you are God and that you are our savior, you are king, you are the one who is leading us. Father, you are gracious. That, Father, you would give us life, that you would author our life, that you would be the one that's over our life, you're the protector, comforter, you are the guide to our life. Father, we praise you for that. This morning, as we jump into a journey that is real exciting, it involves us all, that both individually and collectively has an impact on our life, Father, we pray that you would lead us. That, Father, this wouldn't be another service, it wouldn't be another sermon, that, Father, you would allow us to see the grace and your mercy and your love and your truth inside of our journey, inside of the journey you've brought us here on and where you want to take us. Father, we are not here by mistake. Father, you are here with us, and we thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus, the gospel. And I just pray over this room that, Father, I know that in light of just all of this excitement we're experiencing as a church, there's also stories, there's lives that are being deeply impacted by just life itself. Father, so I pray that your presence, your rest, your heart, your spirit would just hover over this place and give just a reminder of who we are in you. And Father, that you would just, through your spirit, move in our hearts in a way that grace and mercy and love are just experienced in a unique way today. Open us to this conversation, Father. Open us to what you want to do in and through us. And Father, we're grateful that you have us here inside of a church, inside of a community, inside of a family, inside of Barberton to ultimately make your glory known Make the gospel the big deal about life. Father, we thank you for all that. We pray for our kiddos who are back in the, the space in the Power Kids area. We pray that you would move in and through back there. You'd be with our volunteers and that what we get to talk about deeply impacts them. We're grateful for you and all that. Pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, you're in John 15, okay? I'm gonna start somewhere different because last week we started with this. If this journey is going to be invested into, right, we have to invest into it very specifically. And we started last week by saying this, this journey has to be a movement of planting the gospel. This journey has to be a movement of planting the gospel, right? That we get the chance 
right? To plant the gospel across the community that we're in and the communities that we impact, right? Barberton and the greater Barberton area. If you come to one of these meetings that I have, you'll get to hear all of the different things of why we're investing this way. Here's something that you need to know, eyes up here. Inside of our community that this church sits in, Barberton, 65% of people would say they're religiously unaffiliated. That is a high percentage of people, about 16,000 in our community alone, in Barberton alone, right? So if you think about the need and the desire for us to plant the gospel, it has to be a movement of that because that number is estimated to grow about one percentage point every year moving forward, right? And it's not our job it's not our job to change hearts, but it is our call to plant the gospel. And we looked at that last week. He said, we want to invest in that because he has invested that in us. All of us in here have been impacted at some level by the seed of the gospel. Maybe that's why you're sitting here. Maybe you're exploring that conversation. And we said this last week, the gospel is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel, right? He didn't just bring the gospel just not coming to speak about the gospel. He is the good news. The gospel is transformative and the gospel is for God's glory. I would challenge you to go back to last week, listen to that. But today, today the second thing is this. If we want to invest inside of this journey, it has to be a movement of pursuing Jesus. It has to be a movement of pursuing Jesus. Right? And inside of that conversation, we're gonna start in Luke 4. It'll be on the screen. So if you're in John 15, we'll, we'll hit that here real quick. But Luke 4 is where we're going to start. Jesus must be the main pursuit of our lives. If we want to see that seed grow that was planted, the main pursuit of our lives has to be Jesus, and everything else has to be defined by that. Because in Luke 4, this is what we see. Luke introduces us to Jesus in a profound and beautiful way. Jesus in the passage right before this, Luke 4, 1 through 13, roughly, Luke highlights Jesus' time in the wilderness. Jesus is being tempted. He's not in it alone. The Holy Spirit's with him. And he, Jesus, proclaims his identity and proves his identity in the wilderness by ultimately claiming victory over Satan in that moment. Then he comes out of the wilderness and Luke highlights the fact that he comes out of the wilderness by the power of the Spirit on him. The power of the Spirit on him. That the same Spirit that was in him, with him in the wilderness when all things seemed, eh, I'm not so sure, is the same Spirit giving him power into his public ministry. And Jesus enters into Nazareth in the temple on the Sabbath day, and he is the honored guest who's going to read the scripture. He's handed the scroll. Yeah, can you imagine we still had scrolls? right? It's like, okay, Pastor Joel says, we got to go all the way down to 63 or whatever, right? And Jesus chooses Isaiah 61 to speak from. I don't think no coincidence. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah and his first sermon that Luke presents in his gospel is Isaiah 61. And this is what Jesus reads. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, which makes me think that he knew exactly where he was going to go and what he was going to preach about, right? The spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Isaiah 61 he's quoting. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. 
to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he continues, he rolls up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now listen, that's a powerful statement. That what Jesus was saying, 30-some-year-old Jesus who just exited the wilderness, just claimed victory in the wilderness, he is identifying himself as the Savior and Messiah, is reading from Isaiah, which is pointing to Jesus. He's reading it directly. He's quoting it. And after he rolls it up and says it's done, he says, today this is being fulfilled because I am the good news who has come. You don't have to search anymore. You have to go looking anymore. I am the one that all the prophets were pointing to. I am the one from beginning to end. I am the one who is going to set the, the, the free, I'm going to set the, the prisoner free and give sight to the blinds. That's who I am. And today, we're going to look at what it means to pursue that Jesus. But here's the reality. Oftentimes, here's what I struggle with. Just get personal. I've been in church for 29 years of my life. I grew up in it, right? I was in the moldy nursery and the, the old church basements when I was a kid, right? I grew up, my dad pastored a church that started at 13, grew into 300, right? I've seen everything, church life. And it's real easy, eyes up here, it's real easy to walk into this place, to function inside of the circles, and to assume that when I say pursue Jesus, that that is the first step of the journey. It is the assumption in my heart oftentimes that it is on me, and it's about me pursuing. And what I think more than anything is that Jesus wants us to start by seeing he pursued us. And in him pursuing us, his desire is that we would fall more in love with him out of pursuing him. That his love pulls us into pursuing him. It is not my will and my power and me mustering up enough. And that's where I want to start. Jesus pursued us first. If you're in here and you've been in church for a minute or you've followed Jesus for a while, right? This is a tension that every day, at least I feel, maybe you feel, right? I have to literally remind myself of him being the one that's pursued me and I am responding to that the more that I am ingrained in his love and understand his love and sit in his love and what we're gonna talk about today is remain in his love, it ultimately motivates me to pursue him. If you have not been in church for a minute or maybe Jesus is a new conversation for you, do you know that the God of the universe pursued you and is pursuing you? Jesus pursued us first. This is the gospel, right? And I love this because Jesus, I think, busted onto the scene to make this point as visible as possible. Right? That's what Luke 4 is all about, He's reading from Isaiah 61. Yes, he is proclaiming who he is, and today this has been fulfilled. But what he also wants us to hear is the fact of the matter is I came to pursue you. 
who were running from me. He pursued us because we were running from him. He didn't have to, but his love initiated that. And this is the story of God. The entire scriptures, the Bible is pointed to the Messiah coming to free and rescue. The story of God can be summed up by the statement, he pursued us and continues to pursue us and continues to pursue us and continues to pursue us. That's why I love Luke 4. Jesus verbalizes the beauty of this. He's reading from, like I said, Isaiah 61, our passage. He says, proclaiming the good news, proclaiming freedom, recovery of sight, freeing the oppressed. And then he tells everyone that he is the one that's going to do this all. Saying it's not on you. And the starting point isn't I pursue Jesus. The starting point is Jesus pursued me. And when I understand that more, and understand and fall more in love with the gospel, the good news that Jesus pursued me when I was running far from, Jesus pursued me when I was lost, Jesus pursued me when I was choosing self-sufficiency, Jesus pursued me when I was choosing my sin, Jesus pursued me when I was way off over here. And I see the wonder and the beauty of who the God of the universe is more, I can't help but daily want to turn and pursue him. Because here's, here's the reality. I wake up real early because I need to get myself right before I see people. Because I wake up and my heart is way off every day. I wake up and the sin, I don't know what it does. It just kind of like, oh, and when I'm sleeping, it just must sit there and it just must get all fired up and stuff, right? And I wake up and I'm like, dang, I'm mad. And I don't even know what I'm mad about. I just woke up, right? I, maybe I'm the only one that's ever experienced that. Maybe I'm saying, okay, right? Okay. You just wake up and you're like, what's going on? And here's the reality. Every day, I got to look dead into Jesus and the gospel and the reality that he pursued me even when I was running from him, when I turned my back on him, when I wasn't a friend to him, when I wasn't following him. If I'm ever going to pursue him as a response, What I love is this, Jesus, he highlights what he did for us in so many ways. He, he, throughout the scriptures, throughout the story of Jesus, he continually reminds us what he's done for us. And that's where John 15 comes in. Because in John 15, we see a passage, see a passage that I think highlights the pursuit of Jesus and our response to him inside of that. He is the one who has redeemed and rescued, like I said in Luke 4, verse 21, he is the one that's fulfilled this and come. But how in the world has he fulfilled this? What in the world does this mean? What does it look like that he pursued us? John 15, that's where we're gonna start. We're gonna start later in the verse, or verses, passages. John 15, verse nine, and then 12 and 13. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Listen, eyes up here. That passage I can skim over all the time. You just think about how profound that love is. I don't have time to go into the weeds of this, but God can, could, and did exist in and of himself perfectly fine. He's in perfect relationship, perfectly serving and loving the Trinity, the, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit interact with each other in perfect love. Jesus is saying here, as the Father has perfectly loved me, 
I have perfectly loved you as he's talking to his disciples and can be extrapolated to us. That the love that Jesus has lavished onto us is what he has experienced from the Father. How much more beautiful does that get? He says, now remain in my love. We'll come back to that. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Listen, I love that. Sometimes we can end there and we're just kind of like, yeah, we'll just kind of figure it out, right? And it kind of becomes my definition of love. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus pursued me to the ends of his life. Jesus pursued me by laying down his life for each and every one of us. Jesus didn't just pursue me with good words and some kind motivational things, some moral deeds. He did what you and I deserved. He did what no one else could do for us because he became the perfect sacrifice in my place to pay for the penalty of sin that exists in my life so that I could say yes to him and in him I could have life with him and for eternity. Jesus pursued us all the way to the worst of death that you could ever experience. And it tells me this. It's like we said last week, that in this idea that Jesus pursued us, we have to understand that the good news starts with God loves you. That's the whole basis of my question. Do you know that God pursues you and continues to pursue you? He loves you. He's loved you from the beginning. He loves you now. He desires for you to respond to his love. Because here's the reality. My sin separates me from him. Like I wake up, and I'm not joking, I wake up and I just want to do life on my own, and that's my sin. Sin makes me believe that I can live autonomously or self-sufficiently from God. Sin makes me think that I can do this life as my own God. It separates me from the one true God who is, by the way, the creator, sustainer, and author of life who has created this whole thing and has a plan in place for each and every one of us. And the beauty is this, that that could have been the end. And yet he sent Jesus to rescue us. Saint Jesus, rescue us. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the one who's redeems. Jesus is the one who restores. Jesus is the one who rescues. Jesus is the one who has graced us and loved us and went to the cross for you and I. And then he rose again. And he said, if you have faith and trust your life to me, you will be saved. And he offers us to respond to the pursuit that he's been on for all of eternity, for all of human lifespan. And he asks us to say this, will you say yes to me? Will you say yes to me? Will you say yes to Jesus? Will you say yes to my love? Is what he's offering. He desires us to abide in his love, remain in his love, to make our home 
in his love. His pursuit was laying down his life for us. For some of us, it starts there. We'll come back to this. But do you know that your God, the God of the universe, is currently pursuing you? Pursued you all the way to death to save you, invite you into his life, invite you into relationship with him. But here's the reality. In this passage, he also highlights where we can make our home in him. I love what he says, now remain in my love, right? Remain in my love. That his pursuit motivates me to make my home, literally that remain can be translated, make your home in my love. That as you and I stare upon the beauty of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, the grace, the truth, the love, the justice, the mercy, everything, all the facets of who he is. And as we fall more in love with him, we can't help but continually find ourselves wanting and desiring and making our home in his love. And as we make our home in his love, we're on this pursuit of him. There's an author by the name of Dane Ortland. This is how he would put it. I don't know if it's on the screen. There it is. For those united to him, the heart of Jesus is not a rental. It's your new permanent residency. You're not a tenant. You're a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and the still waters of endless reassurance of his presence and comfort. Whatever our present spiritual accomplishments, it is who he is. Listen. If you are a follower of Jesus, right? Some of us, some of us forget that God pursued us. And so the pursuit of Jesus is because we think it's a rental, is because we think it's a one-time stop, is because we think it's going to fade away. Or what if I didn't go to church that Sunday? Or what if I'm not a part of the group? Or what if I don't do this? Or what if I don't do that? Or what if I didn't love my neighbor very well? and we feel like we got to keep up with it. And so we're just trying and trying and trying and running the race of pursuing Jesus for the sake of trying to gain his acceptance, gain his approval. In Christ, in Jesus, when you entrust your life to him, it's by his grace through faith that you are granted this righteousness because he took your sin and you can do nothing about it. And he says, it's yours. It's free, it's yours, and the response of your life is to live out of that. Listen, eyes up here, I have kids. I have kids, a four-year-old and an almost three-year-old, right? I have fun, we joke about it up here, right? We're in the toddler stage and all that good stuff. But here is, eyes up here, and if you're a parent of a toddler or younger or older, it doesn't matter where you're a parent at, but really at this stage, my kids need And I want my kids to so see my love for them. I I struggle with this all the time, right? You get frustrated, you you get upset, all that stuff. I am so tirelessly trying, pursuing, making an effort to show, to lavish, to make sure that my kids know I love them because they're they're my child. Not because of how they act, which currently... It's about 50-50, right? You just never know, right? 
not based on if they go to bedtime at the right time, not based on all the different things, not based on if they play football or not, not based on if they're athletic or not, not based on their grades or not, right? I want the foundation of my love to be now because it's so vital for them to understand it is a gift and it's because they're my child and it's never gonna leave them no matter what decisions they make. I desire that they make wise, right decisions. Don't get me wrong. And the love of a father will tell them when they're messing up. But here's the reality, that my hope is this, eyes up here, is that as I continually remind them of that, that they make their home in my love. That's my desire for them, is that in 10, 12, 15 years, that home is not just the house we lived in, but is the environment they grew up in, in grace and in love, and they can come and run to me whenever. Because here's the reality, my heart's desire is that they know that I love them and that they would make their home inside of my love because I believe if they are willing to make their home inside of my love, that their life will pursue the things that I have hopefully directed them towards, that they would grow to listen and trust me because they've grown to understand and see my love for them. I tell my son all the time, listen and trust I just say, listen and trust. Like, go to bed, listen and trust, right? <laughs> and then I say, because daddy loves you. That's what, that's what Jesus did for us. He pursued us, and out of love, he came and died for us, rose again, and then he says, listen and trust, listen and trust, or look and trust, look and trust. I love you. It is not a rental. It is not based on your spiritual accomplishments. It is based on my love for you. You've gone from an enemy to a child. You've gone from lost to found. You've gone from a failure to forgiven. You have gone from being over here to now an ambassador, a partner inside of the gospel, and I get to use you and gift you in so many different ways. This is a grace that goes beyond anything you and I could do for ourselves. And that's what I love about it. My pursuit of Jesus begins when I sit in the reality that he first pursued us. He continues to pursue us. My identity changes. His promises I start to lean into. And as I fall more and more in love with Jesus, which is a journey, by the way, my heart's pursuit of Jesus grows and grows and grows and grows, not because I have to satisfy some sort of spiritual accomplishment or achievement, but because of the love of my Savior. And I will want to, I'm going to use this word, work at it, work out my salvation as often as I can because I know his love is not going to leave me and I know his love is true and I want his love to be seen to others through me. So that's where it starts. You're like, man, we just got the same sermon that we got last week. Yes, it's that important that you understand he pursued us. Now, secondly, Jesus invites us to pursue him, right? Bet you didn't see that coming, right? Jesus invites us to pursue him. And that's where this idea of remaining in my love comes in. What I love about John 15 is for any pastor, it gives them a clear illustration I don't have to give you an illustration. It just is an illustration. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for that, right? This is where he starts in John 15. <coughs> John 15, verse 1. I think it's on the screen. This is where Jesus starts, okay? Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples here, 
He's in the upper room. They're having the love feast right before he's about to go to the cross. This is the last supper, right? That famous picture, right? This is the moment he's talking to his disciples. He's explaining to them what's going to happen and what they need to be prepared for and how they can hope in him and have peace in him. He says this to start chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now to us, that doesn't mean a lot. And we, we've talked about this before. We go to the grocery store. We don't grow things, right? This is the whole agricultural culture that he's speaking to. Two distinct things to note about this passage. One is, like I said, it's a cultural thing. They would have saw grapevines everywhere. They would have walked around Israel, walked around their, their land. They would have saw grapevines everywhere. So when Jesus says, I am the vine and the father's the gardener, they would have had an image, like a very physical image of what that means. But secondly is this, throughout the Old Testament, you actually see that Israel is often equated or illustrated as God's vine. That Israel was often explained or kind of another term would have been the vine, God's vine. And, and as you read throughout the Old Testament, most of the time it wasn't used in, in great uh, examples or in great illustrative format, but that's what it was. And so when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, his disciples would have been like, wait a minute, we've heard this, seen this, know this before. Because what he's doing is he's saying, it's not Israel, it's not a nation, it's not a political stance or a political side. It's not even based off of yourself. It's not based off a specific community or personal fame. It is me. I am the true vine. Stay connected to me. It's not your nationality, not your political side. It's not even where you religiously are at. It is me. And then he goes into verse four, which is fascinating. It says this in verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. We'll come back to that, but that is a powerful promise. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, right? Jesus is the true vine. And he says, remain in me, or another word would be abide in me, or another word would be make your home in me, right? Which visually makes the most sense for me. Make your home in me, right? Come, make yourself at home. Take off your shoes, right? Sit on the couch. Have a cup of coffee. Make your home in me and in my love and in who I am. Because unless you do that, you will not bear any fruits, spiritual fruits. There's two things out of this just kind of invitation to pursue Jesus I want us to see. The first is this. Pursuing Jesus reveals his promise. Pursuing Jesus reveals his promise. That's what I love. There's multiple things going on in this passage right here. When he says, remaining, abide, or make your home in me, it is a deep, constant, and, and constant connection to me as your Savior is what he's saying. Make your home as a deep and constant connection to me as Savior, Messiah, and Lord of your life. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. And here's the power of this passage. It says, remain in me as I also remain in you. This is not a one-way street. As we are pursuing him out of this love and this desire, he is promising that he's making his home in me, ultimately through his Spirit. He's like, this is not just a one-way street. This is not just a one-sided coin. As you remain in me, I am going to remain in you. Listen, that's a promise to be held on to. 
as a promise to run into, that's a promise to connect to, that's a promise to say, as I am pursuing Jesus, it's not just how I feel, it's not just what I do, as I pursue Jesus, I can trust that he is there with me. What I love is this, secondly, is he mentions this, not only that he remains in me, but he also talks about his father being the gardener, which I love, this illustration of like Jesus is the vine, the gardener's walking through the garden. And as we stay connected to Jesus, he says the father's gonna prune and he's gonna cut, which sounds terribly intense. But if you are remaining in Jesus, the pruning process is such a gracious process. The father... He promises that he is going to be aware of our lives, aware of what Jesus is doing in our life, and that he is going to come alongside of us by either pruning things away so more fruit can grow. Have you ever had that where you're like, ooh, that stings, right? Where, where you're reading scripture, you're like, oh, that's something I'm dealing with. That's a sin that's still there. That's still creeping in. That's unhealthy. I'm not loving them, right? And God's like, I want to develop you into looking more and more like Jesus, he also says he's going to cut away. For some, there's not fruit growing, right? And the healthiest thing for the branch, the healthiest thing for what's happening is to cut away and to throw out. So he prunes to be able to bear more fruits. What I love about this process is it's a promise and a process of God making us what he has declared us, holy and righteous in his children. The fancy church word is sanctification, Right? The reality is it's a promise and it's a process of him bringing to fullness what he has called us and declared us and made us in Christ. And that is a process. Paul David Tripp would say this, this is why it is not enough for God to forgive us and adopt us. He literally has gotten inside of us by his spirit to continue to rescue us, restore us and empower us between our conversion and our final homecoming. Reality is this, is that when we are declared righteous, right? It starts this process of becoming more and more looking like Jesus as we follow him. And it is such a gracious thing that he wants us to look more and more like his children as we live on this earth. It isn't always easy to bear. And that's not always easy to walk through, but he desires us to embrace it. John 15, five then goes on and says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He repeats basically what he just said. And secondly, I would say pursuing Jesus reveals his promises, but pursuing Jesus is a patient process, right? It is an everyday endeavor of abiding in him, trusting in him, and trusting that he is abiding in me. And the process of abiding produces fruit, not by what I've done, but ultimately by what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of me. This is setting yourself up for allowing the Spirit to work inside of you. It's not just church attendance. Small groups, the devotionals, are all avenues that the Spirit works in to produce fruit in our life. It's not because you've done those things, but you've opened yourself up to the Spirit working in your life and guiding and directing you. My prayer for this environment is not that you just sit up here and see a talking head, but that the God of the universe would unite us in his grace and teach us by his grace so that we would go out celebrating and maybe crying out to God or confessing because of what he's doing inside of our lives. So pursuing Jesus, it's a patient process.
and not abiding means that kingdom fruit will not exist in my life. But lastly is this. Jesus pursued us first. He invites us to pursue, but Jesus is worth pursuing. He's worth pursuing. Verse seven and eight. This is where John goes, where Jesus goes ultimately. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When Jesus invites disciples to follow him, he oftentimes talks about the cost. He oftentimes talks about the intensity or the suffering or the sacrifice of what is going on, and that is very legit, and that is a conversation that we have often. When you say yes to Jesus, it's gonna cost you something, personally, relationally, might cost you something culturally, right? And if, even internally, right? It's gonna cost you things, but it's also worth it. I think in this passage, he details out why it's worth it in three very simple ways. First is, it's worth pursuing Jesus because his words remain. His words remain in us. Jesus' words are life-giving and life-defining. And when I pursue Jesus, his words pursue me. When I pursue Jesus, his words are going to pursue me. If I'm pursuing Jesus and I'm in his word and I'm wrestling with his word, his word is going to transform me through the Spirit. If you're reading Jesus and it doesn't strike you or it doesn't challenge you or it doesn't transform you, right, you might just be skimming. Because here's the reality. When you read Jesus, he's going to call things to the table about your heart. And the beauty is, it remains in me and it's worth it because as it remains in me, it's going to transform me into the image of Christ. This is what John says later in John 15, 15 through 17. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. What I love is this, is that not only will it transform you, but it will tell you who he is, what he's done for you, and who you are in light of that. Remaining in his word, it reveals my heart, yes, but it also reveals the heart of God, and reveals who he calls me in moments where I often forget. Secondly is this, our prayers are answered. It's worth it because our prayers are answered. In verse 16, he says, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. As a disciple of Jesus, my prayers are the way I communicate and commune with God. The last week of this series, we'll talk more about prayer. Because as I abide in Jesus' love, my heart becomes transformed by him and it is formed into the image of who he is. It's formed into his heart. My heart becomes uh, aligned with his heart and is molded so that as I pray, my prayers start to become more kingdom focused than my will focused. And so as I'm wrestling with prayer, as I'm wrestling with praying to God, with God, being with God inside of that prayer, all of a sudden, he promises as I pray that those prayers will be answered. Are they always going to be answered? How I think they're going to be answered? No, they're not. But he promises to come alongside of us in prayer and through prayer. And as our hearts become molded and look more like the kingdom, I'll start to see and understand and pray 
out of this abiding love in him and understand what he is doing inside of all of that. And as I see prayers answered, I begin to connect that to abiding with Jesus. Then lastly is this, God's glory is displayed. All right, God's glory is displayed. Here's the reality. Producing fruits, producing fruits always gives glory to the farmer or the grower, right? No one goes up to a tree and is like, wow, that branch is, you're doing so well, buddy. Look at you. You did it, right? Good job, branch. They always go to the farmer and they're like, wow, look at what has happened. Here's the reality. Fruit, it's worth it to pursue Jesus because God gets the glory. The more you pursue Jesus, you will attach to why it's worth it because of God's glory. Before I came to Jesus, it was my glory. As Jesus pursued me and I start to pursue Jesus, I see it as 10 times, 100 times, thousands of times, millions, infinity times more worth it to see God's glory go before us. The reality is this, a producing of fruit in our lives is never about me. It's always about him and what he's doing. And inside of that, we praise God and we celebrate what he's doing and we ask that he continues to do it. And it is worth it to pursue because God's glory is what is seen in our community and inside of our own circles. I pray that our community would be dumbfounded by what's happening here, not because of any sort of event or sermon or crazy, awesome, new kind of thing that we got going on, but because of God's glory just making its way through our community. And that that would be a sign that the good news is present in and through what is happening here and in your lives, in our lives collectively. And my prayer for the kingdom-minded churches across the world is the same. It would just be a dumbfounding of what is happening. We can only attribute it to who God is and what he's done. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you'd like to reach out and connect with us or hear more about Grace, you can head to barberton.gracechurches.org for more information. We meet in person at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 629 Wesleyan Avenue in Barberton. Have a great day.